Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. One of the deepest desires for humankind is to be known. In Maslow's hierarchy of needs, belonging is just above our physical needs and our need for safety. Psychiatrist Kurt Thompson puts it this way, while connection may not be our top need for immediate physical survival, our creator has formed us in such a way that there is nothing more crucial to our long-term welfare. In fact, virtually every action we humans take is part of the deeper attempt to connect with other humans. You're listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. My guest today knows just how important relationships can be to spiritual and emotional well-being, especially as she has spent the last few years leading a ministry initiative at Garrett Evangelical Divinity School in Evanston, Illinois, to reach young adults. Dr. Jennifer Moe is an assistant director of the Young Adult Initiative at Garrett Theological Seminary. She received her Ph.D. in Christian Education and Congregational Studies from Garrett in 2018 and currently teaches at Garrett in the Christian Education Department. Dr. Moe, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Okay, so you have been running a ministry out of Garrett for a few years now, and I'd like to start with, you know, the name and the concept because it's pretty intriguing to me. The, na- the name is Holy Young. Holy Yearnings, Holy Listening, Holy Partnerships. Where does that name come from? And can you describe a little bit for us about what, how that has worked? Yeah, sure. Um, so the director of our initiative, Dr. Reggie Blunt, um, has identified what he calls the seven spiritual yearnings of young adults. And those seven spiritual yearnings uh, provided the framework for the first part of our name. Those yearnings are identity, purpose, intimacy, healing, mentoring, nurture, and courage. Uh, and then our research director, Dr. Dory Baker, she uses this ethnographic method in practice that she calls holy listening, um, where she interviews um, subjects and affirms that, in this case with young adults, um, the subjects of the interviews are experts on their own lives and that um, when you're given space to reflect and speak on open-ended questions, then then meaning-making can happen from their experiences. And so that's where the holy listening comes from. And then the final partnership piece is kind of the working together of the congregations in our initiative to move, um, to move forward toward a culture where young adults are a vital part of their congregations. Um, And so we began our initiative by hiring young adults that were involved in faith communities um, to interview other young adults in their congregations. Basically, we we hired young adults to practice holy listening with other young adults. And then we used the data that we collected from the interviews to train more congregations in both holy listening and in design thinking um, toward doing some innovative ministries with young adults. 
and then and then we gave those congregations money and we told them to get creative (laughs) (laughs) be innovative yes um so the holy listening can you explain a little bit how that might differ from if you're just uh conducting an interview or if you are you know just having a conversation with a friend what makes holy listening different from that yeah that's a good question um the way that, that we kind of um, use holy listening is that the interviews are meant to be long. So many of them, um, you start out thinking it's going to be an hour, and some of our interviews went to, to two hours. It's really um, a, a prompt of a question, a very open-ended question, a question something like, um, what keeps you up at night? And then you just listen to whatever the answer is. And so there's an intentionality about it, which you, you would hope with an interviewer, that's always the case, that um, there's, an, there's an intentionality to the listening. And then I would say the way that we, um, the way that we use something called empathy mapping to analyze the interview answers is another way of, of making the process holy in the sense that uh, the empathy map- mapping that we learned from Dr. Bethany Stoley, um, she, she, she led us through this process where we kind of brought the interview participants into the room via, um, via taking their stories and connecting them to other stories and kind of created um, created almost like a, a, a virtual pastiche of the person. And it was really, um, it's kind of about the intentionality behind it all. Okay, so empathy and then having very open-ended questions and being willing to listen to the people and then having an empathy mind, when it, an empathetic mindset when you're reflecting on their, their answers. Yes. So... Um, when you created this, um, the Holy Yearnings, Holy Listening, and, and the Holy Partnerships, what particular needs were you trying to address within your community there in Evanston, Illinois? Um, well, we, we were thinking actually further outside of Evanston to kind of the whole Chicagoland area. And we even had some congregations that were out of state that were part of this as well. Um, but the biggest, the biggest need that we were trying to address is the ways that young adults were often marginalized within faith communities. And so they're often seen as not really central to the life of the church. They're either like thought of as volunteers for physical labor, you know, like paint the building, mow the lawn, mm-hmm. things like that, or as kind of not quite grown-ups or grown-ups in waiting, um, rather than being, like, engaged, active, productive members of society that have something important to offer the church. So why do you think that young adults are so sidelined? I know that sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, on the program we've talked about um, the issue of not really having a family, maybe churches tend to be more family oriented, mm-hmm. which means emphasis on adults and emphasis on kids. But and so there's a, a gap there. Are there any other reasons that you can think of of why young adults may be overlooked? Well, I think I think there's a lot of misperceptions about young adults 
that um, one one that we hear all the time, of course, right, is, oh, they're entitled. They're so entitled. And I think people don't don't realize that young adults are working hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our young adults right now um, have graduated into economies that aren't super supportive, and so they're working really hard just to um, just to have an independent life. And uh, they have skills. They have uh, they take initiative. Um, a, there's a lot of entrepreneurial spirit, I would say. And um, and so what I think happens is that they're doing all of these these really important things outside of the church, um, and but churches don't know what to do with them inside because they, like you said, they don't always fit the family model, or um, perhaps they're in a situation where um, job longevity is not what it used to be. And Mm -hmm. so they may be part of a church for a year or 18 months, and then they have to move to a new, to a new town. And um, so churches, I think, feel like they, they shouldn't, maybe they shouldn't invest in young adults. Um, But I think they should. Right. Yeah. I, I've heard a little bit about that myself as far as, you know, you know, in the Denver metro area, our churches are very transitional because it's so expensive to live here. So churches sometimes are hesitant to invest in um, young adults because they know they will be moving on. So that is definitely a temptation, it seems to be, across the country. Yeah. Um, I know that you've done some work on relationships, and I know that relationships, you know, are critically important, as I mentioned at the at the top of the show. I'd love to um, hear a little bit about what you found regarding relationships and why they're important in the lives of these young adults in these faith communities. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think we're seeing now more than ever, honestly, in the midst of, of this pandemic that we're in, that, um, that churches are people, not buildings. And so relationships endure where like buildings and programs and even kind of the, the formal rituals are not adhered to, those relationships um, are still strong, the relationships that people form with each other. And it's not that those those other things don't matter, but without relationships, uh, you have no church. And and we've found that our young adults have very strong relationships with each other that that last, and that they they see need to be nurtured um, more so than the importance of. Um, showing up at a particular time on a particular day to a particular building. Yeah, I imagine that the pandemic has brought to light exactly for us how much, what are the limitations of technology and getting Zoom fatigue and just wanting to yeah. to be present with another human being yeah. really drives the, home, the point home for us. Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout the program, throughout your the ministry through Garrett, um, what have been some of the most successful approaches you've seen churches um, utilize to be able to minister to young adults? Um, well, I would say that the most successful approaches are ones that minister with young adults rather than to them. Um, 
So we found that that participating in holy listening, that really listening to the needs and desires and hopes and even frustrations that young adults have is so much more helpful than just assuming that you know what the young adults in your church are looking for, right? And so what I've kind of found is that young adults don't want to be ministered to per se, but they want to be in ministry with their congregations and, and with the people that they, um, that they are doing life with. And uh, they're often just not invited to do so. They're not given that leadership opportunity? or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's really interesting is to, to be able to, you know, employ these and employ young adults into ministry to actually kind of show them how the faith works in action probably gives them a vision of what the church could be in culture. Yeah. Um, so what have been the biggest challenges that congreg- congregations have faced? Um, I, think, I think for a lot of ours, the biggest challenge was time. Um, a lot of our congregations were, they were really ambitious with the funds that we gave them. And um, then they realized that everything just takes a lot longer than they anticipated. Um, so we, we ended up giving... Uh, many of our congregations more time than we had originally planned on um, because we wanted them to be able to keep doing that work. So, yeah, uh, time management uh, is always a challenge. (laughs) Well, you know, when it comes to time, time to build ministries, time to reach out, time to build Mm -hmm. relationships, what, what exactly were they running out of time for? Well, we had given them um, one year was a kind of our the way that our our plan was was uh-huh. we did some training with them for about four months in um, holy listening and some design thinking and designing kind of what they wanted to do, and then we gave them a year. We're like, this is your this is your year to innovate, and um, many of them. I, we had one group that. Um, had a very simple plan, which was to do community dinners, um, to get people in the congregation around tables together and, and to just talk about their lives and talk about what their congregation was doing. And then also to invite people from their, from their local community area to also participate. I mean, it was a really, it was a really simple plan. Um, and they wanted to do it once a week. Um, so, so they wanted to do 52 dinners, wow. and they very quickly learned that that was um, it, it was a great plan, far too ambitious, and um, is very hard to have a dinner a week. Um, and it doesn't that doesn't sound like it should be, but it really was. And um, and so those those were the kinds of things where either uh, they they planned a lot of different activities or um, uh, different things they were going to do, like workshops or retreats or podcasts or things like that, uh, and found that it just took a lot more time than they thought it would. So how did, they, how did they deal with that challenge? I mean, I imagine that it was probably pretty disappointing for them to realize some of their ideas weren't, weren't going to pan out the way they, they wanted to. How did they deal with that disappointment? Yeah, um, I think it, they, dis, they, they dealt with it quite well, I think, in terms of saying, well, here's something that we learned, right? Um, so we, we didn't set them out with the expectation that they're going to succeed at everything. 
we more so were like, we want you to try things, you know. Um, we want you to innovate. We want you to use your imagination. We want you to try. And so part of the learning is that um, that that didn't work, you know, mm-hmm. that certain things um, sometimes don't work, and they don't work the way that you think. And, and so we wanted them um, – again, to be able to keep trying things. And so if at the end of that year they still had some of their funds left, we said, that's fine. Uh, We're not looking to get them back. Um, Keep trying things, you know, with some of the funds that you have. So um, so that kind of um, helped them to maybe think about something else they'd like to try. Yeah, you know, it's so human, right, to, to fear failure, and yeah. to feel demoralized by that. Um, I uh, often teach my daughters, you know, something that I wish I had learned as a young kid is like one of the best things in life you can do is learn to learn from your failings and learn to laugh at yourself and mm-hmm. to take it in stride and to try again and to never give up. But it, it's so human to mm-hmm. to fear that failure, to fear um, putting together different ideas and putting together new things um, with the risk that it may not work. Yeah. For sure. Um, so what have been some of the biggest surprises you have seen? You know, whenever you were putting this together, you know, at Garrett and thinking about the holy yearnings, the holy listening, the holy partnership as a program, um, what have been your biggest surprises as you've seen it work out as you've seen people go through the process yeah um i i was surprised and impressed with a lot of the imaginative ideas that they came up with um things i would have never i would have never thought of um we had we had some young adults that used the theme of the wizard of oz the emerald city and the wizard of oz to lead their congregation through like a series of events or opportunities to practice hospitality um, and arts and worship and music and spoken word and strengthening of relationships. And it was just wonderful. And um, we had another congregation that hosted a couple's retreat, but for friends, which is such a brilliant idea, speaking of relationships, that the idea that, that friends can benefit from guided time together to strengthen their friendship in, you know, a retreat type space is really fantastic, you know? Absolutely, because friendship, you know, there are four types of love, and all of those types of love need to be nurtured and cultivated, but that really is outside the box to do a couple's retreat with friends. Yeah, yeah. How did uh, people respond to that? How did young adults come away? What did they come away with learning about themselves and about relationships in general? Yeah, I I think they really loved it. Um, and uh, there's a way that that it. Um, I don't think you get a lot of of opportunities to have guided relationship time with someone who's your friend or your best friend. Or, you know, we just sort of think that those relationships sustain themselves. Whereas, like when when churches and stuff have marriage retreats and things like that, they um, they know that the marriage relationship takes takes work and takes um, would benefit from some of these like kind of guided experiences or intense experiences. And 
um, uh, but we, for some reason, we don't think friendships need that, or we don't think that friendships could benefit from that. And I think finding that that they really can is yeah. is really important. That's so. I have never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. About the fact that we put so much emphasis on having healthy marriages, but nobody really teaches us how to be good friends. Yeah. Nobody yeah. teaches us how to be good um, colleagues, really. I mean, you know, in a certain capacity, but um, they may teach you that, but not really about friendship. That's that's right. very interesting and very innovative and yeah. very thoughtful of the people that came up with that idea. It's yeah. really interesting. Um what would you say would be, you know, the biggest lessons that you've learned coming out of this program? Yeah. Um, so this lesson is, is not a surprise to me, um, but the events that were held outside of the church walls were definitely the most effective in terms of involving young adults and being creative. Um, I've def- that is definitely a lesson that I've learned from this. Um, there were some churches that, that did do in-house events very well, and they had great participation, but for the most part, like holding events and doing ministry outside of the church building um, kind of seems to be the future <laughs> in some ways. Um, I mean, even more so now we're seeing, right? Right. Um, so that was, that was not a surprise, but it definitely was a lesson. So wh- why do you think that's the case? What is it about the church building itself or the church property? Or let me rephrase it. What is yeah. it about being off church property and out of a church building that makes an event more successful or effective? I think there's something about um, the freedom of a different space. So I, I think even people who love going to church, like going to Sunday morning service or Wednesday evening service or whatever, um, there are certain um, boundaries associated with that experience. And um, I can only I can only speak for myself here, but I know that that I have a particular emotional experience when I walk through the walls of, say, the church that I grew up in. And those, that feeling um, creates a, a boundary around me in terms of what I experience while I'm in there. And I think getting outside of the church, even um, the church that I that I currently attend here in Chicago, has their services um, outside on the front lawn in the mm-hmm. summertime, <laughs> and there's just something there's something different about it. There's something more freeing, or more casual, or more um, open than the services that are inside. And um, even, so even when it's just out on the lawn instead of inside the building, right, mm-hmm. um, I think there's a, there's a receptivity that happens when you're away from this building that you associate with a particular time and a particular day and perhaps a particular posture. I can imagine that that would be true in denominations because of, in certain denominations because maybe of tradition and formality you know i remember growing up in a southern baptist church in texas where everybody wore their sunday best and if you didn't wear your sunday best then 
then you were kind of looked down on, kind of almost um, non-verbally shamed. (laughs) And um, um, in other cases that, you know, I've seen also, this may be true, and and I differentiate these because what I see to be true and maybe wealthier, white, Caucasian, suburban churches, there's a tendency to put on a particular face and feel like you have it all together. Mm. Whereas when you're meeting outside of a church building, you're, you don't have, you don't necessarily have that happy face on or that put together image on, or even meeting outside on the lawn gives you that relaxed and formal, um, almost permission to be able to be yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So if you were going to speak to someone, um, you know, maybe pastors or maybe people in a congregation who would like to see more, their church do more to minister to young adults, what would you encourage them to do? What would be your advice? Uh, I would say listen to your young adults. Like if you if you have young adults in your congregation, um, ask them what they care about and what they're good at and what their lives are like, and ask them what they think they might have to offer your faith community, and then invest in that, um, to bring them in to the heart of your congregation and let them lead. Don't just leave them out at the margins. Bring them in. Listen to your young adults. Dr. Mo, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. If you have any questions or thoughts about our program, I love interacting with listeners. Please contact me at drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. Remember, stay curious about how God is moving in the world today. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email. Dr. Haley at ChristianCurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at ChristianCurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, ChristianCurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.